1: Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes
2: and fees may vary. Brickers Island is a blight. Denying humanity isn't right. Island is a blight. Denying humanity isn't right.
3: Brickers Island is a blight.
4: Denying humanity
3: isn't right. It's one of the most well-known places in New York City, but no tourist would ever want to visit there. And frankly, the people who live in New York City, fear it. But there's no denying that Rikers Island has its place in the history of New York.
5: Rikers Island is the city's largest and America's most expensive jail complex.
3: It's also an island very much in crisis today. There is a pulsing tumor in our beloved
1: city that Mayor Eric Adams needs to address to keep his promise about government's accountability and crime prevention. That tumor
2: that I'm speaking of is Rikers Island, which is right down the block here.
3: Even before COVID arrived two years ago and ravaged the staff and population at Rikers, the system of justice there moved painfully slow. Today, in some corners of Rikers Island, there's almost no movement at all. And those who are being held at the jail complex are now taking matters into their own hands.
6: Hi, this is Irvin Bowens. Um, Listen, this is very important. Right now, my unit we on hunger strike. We got over nine mils. By the time you get this, we'll probably be on eleventh to twelfth mil. Um, Is it please? Is it possible you contact the my from the media unit right away?
3: In this episode of Connect the Dots, how did Rikers Island get so bad? Why is a jail already under the watchful eye of a federal monitor so paralyzed? And why can't anyone seem to change it?
1: It's the worst I've ever seen. Now, as I've told you, I've been in the system a fairly lengthy period of time, a couple of decades. It's the worst that I have ever seen it.
3: I'm Linda Lopez, and this is Connect the Dots from Odyssey, a weekly podcast where we draw together multiple perspectives to unpack a single compelling story. This week... Our look at the crisis in one of the nation's most famous jails.
4: Rikers Island is the most urgent humanitarian and civil rights crisis of our city, of our time. And everybody
3: needs to be talking about it. And here in New York, Rikers does seem to be getting new attention.
1: First, I just wanna, before we even get started, I just wanna acknowledge all
2: of the advocates and all of the organizations that's come out. Because this convening is representative of our deep commitment and concern
1: for all of the people that are on Rikers Island. So I'll first say that to all of the organizations and impacted people that are here today.
3: Last week, community activists, former detainees, and elected officials gathered across the water from the Rikers Island complex to highlight a story that was happening inside. Inmates run a hunger strike at Rikers refusing to eat with their served to protest poor conditions there. And Marla Diamond is outside with the latest on that story. Marla.
2: And, Wayne, 200 inmates spread out over four
5: dormitories here at Rikers have been on a hunger strike since January 7th, demanding basic services like access to mental health and medical care and recreation. An attorney for the New York County Defender Service testifying at a Tuesday Department of Correction hearing
2: said that lack of heat No personal visits from family members and delayed hearings are also
3: a problem. Rikers Island is a 400-acre spot of land in New York's East River, bookended by the Fulton Fish Market in the Bronx and LaGuardia Airport in Queens. 85% of the nearly 6,000 detainees who populate the eight prison facilities there Are awaiting trial. That means these are people, for the most part, who are not convicted of a crime yet. Innocent until proven guilty, as our system is supposed to go. Many there belong in jail without question, but few would argue that the conditions that exist at the jail complex, for a good portion of the population, is anything but inhumane. Last week, lawyers from New York County Defender Services released two voicemails from two people on Rikers Island. Urgently pleading for help.
6: Friday uh, midnight, January the seventh, um, we decided to go on a DOC meal hunger strike uh, nonviolently. Um, and the reasons for this uh, is because due to the lack of um, our needs being met, uh, that DOC has not been able to provide. And I'll begin with the following: sick call. We have not began. We have not to get uh, medical attention in a in a timely fashion. Um, uh, This continues to lingers months and months on end, so this is not something that just occurred um, out of the blue, as you can imagine. So uh, we know it's been getting attention in the newspapers as well as the media, uh, but it's important for you to hear it from us. Uh, Recreation. Uh, We are currently on a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week lockdown. Uh, This particular mod that we're in now, Mod 4 Lower North, uh, we've been isolated about 15 days and counting. Uh, supposedly due to COVID protocols. Um, as we know, the CDC guidelines states we have to be isolation for five days. Uh, once we receive a COVID positive testing, we are on our 16th day currently of isolation. Uh, we are not receiving law library services. This is hindering our due process. As you can imagine, uh, court days are currently uh, constantly being adjourned. Uh, bail hearings and motion hearings as well. Uh, we are not receiving communication in a timely fashion as well. Uh, so we're basically here stuck in limbo. Um, we have a uh, commissary uh, department that has a few products, little to no options uh, on a consistent weekly basis. Uh, we are now receiving our mail. Um, our mail is either lost, non-delivered, to um, so no communication whatsoever as to what's going on. Our family members continuously have to continue to ask us uh, if we receive mail that they've sent us uh, to avail. Uh, our visits. So, um, as you can see, the city is still open for business, uh, but Rikers Island is closed. We are so lawyer's visits, uh, which continue to hinder our due process as well. Uh, our meals, our meals are being currently, uh, given to us inside our mods. Uh, we do not have, um, pantries and we do not have adequate heating equipment. So as you can imagine, he, uh, uh, heating or keeping the meals, uh, warm becomes a problem. Um, heat, uh, we are currently uh, under a uh, strict advisory for uh, for a cold breeze um, here in New York City, um, uh, temperature reading on Saturday and a mere 58 degrees Fahrenheit. Just so you know, which is extremely cold. Having issues with the communication of the and the detainees.
3: By some accounts, 200 detainees living on Rikers were refusing prison food and living on snacks and items purchased from jail commissaries. Officials at the Department of Corrections downplayed the complaints, but. Promised to hear out the issues. To understand the story of Rikers Island and what it can do to someone, we wanted to tell you the story of 16-year-old Khalif Browder, who spent three years on Rikers without ever having been convicted of a crime. He was arrested in the spring of 2010 for allegedly stealing a backpack that contained some money and other valuables. Khalif insisted he was not guilty, and in the years that followed, the case fell apart because the alleged victim's story just didn't hold up. But it was too late for Khalif Browder. His time on Rikers changed him. He spent two of his three years on Rikers in solitary confinement and tried to take his own life several times while in custody. Khalif Browder made it out of Rikers, but never recovered from his time there. His story The torture and abuse he experienced at the hands of fellow detainees and jail guards was told in an article for New Yorker magazine, and his case became a story that touched people far and wide. But Khalif couldn't chase away the demons of Rikers, and five years after his arrest, Khalif Browder took his own life at his home in the Bronx. The Khalif Browder story helped spur a real movement for reform at Rikers, led by his brother, Akeem Browder.
4: Uh, I believe Khalif's genuine honesty uh, came across to people in a way that uh, allowed them to believe in uh, what he said was as accurate as he can depict as a, as a young adult. Um, and uh, the part about that made him uh, re- resonate with people is, like I said, his the way that he came across was just honest. It wasn't political. It wasn't um agenda-based. It wasn't, uh, for likes. It was genuine and that kind of pain resonates with people because I believe we all know deep down what happens because we've heard of stories like, uh, that came out of Rikers, uh, in the past. And when we hear something like this come from a young black kid that should not have been in India but for something so minuscule as a allegedly stealing a book bag, um, we have no choice but to allow that to touch us intimately.
3: Akeem Browder has made reforming the justice system in New York City a personal crusade in the wake of his brother's death. And while he's seen real progress over the years, he's admittedly disheartened at the state of Rikers Island today.
4: Linda, I got to say uh, the condition of Rikers at the moment uh, is is not one uh, to be considered that it just is being uh, stated that this is a humanitarian crisis. This has been talked about before you and I probably even came onto this earth because uh, Rikers has been around. Um, and then on top of that, it was uh, it was hidden and it still is some hidden. Uh, island, even though it's right in your face, um, it also has the the, the the dynamic of being its own, and no one can get to you to even tell your story or even ex- uh, share your story with, without having that consent of the bridge coming down and you being in the cross. Uh, it is so hidden that uh, the conditions or Likers has. Uh, it's not surprising why it's deplorable. It's not surprising why it's inhumane. It's not surprising why protesters like myself for the past 10 years have advocated for the shutdown of Rikers Island.
3: Veteran lawyer Christopher Boyle has been working with the criminal justice system in New York for decades. He works for New York County Defender Services, one of the three law firms who handle public defender cases in Manhattan courts. Boyle finds himself on Rikers Island at least once a week, and even more these days.
1: I've been in the system about 25 years, 26 years now. Well, I'm actually, probably closing in on 30 years. So um, I'm older than uh, I think. The, um, the way it used to work is that uh, most cases are on about a 12-month cycle. Right. So if you're arrested in January, your case is either tried or disposed of probably by the end of the year, December. Um, There are exceptions to that. Homicides almost always take about a two year cycle and cases that are much more serious. There are certain types of cases uh, based on clients prior record that are like homicides because they're looking at life in prison. Those cases tend to be on a two year cycle. But for the most part, it's about a year. Um, you know, unfortunately, now what we're looking at is a situation in which because of COVID, um, there are there are many, many clients that are, have been in there, you know, two years or more, um, you know, which is unfortunate. But, you know, the, there have been very, very little trials that have gone on in any of the, the New York City court buildings. Uh, they are trying and they're making attempts. But as you can imagine, you know, there's a there's a push and pull with that because, you know, there's a reluctance to try case. the way they're trying cases, the few cases that have gone to trial people are wearing masks, the jury pool is not sitting in the box, they're sitting in the audience behind you. Um, it makes things much more difficult for a trial lawyer to connect with the jury when are these other barriers. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a trade-off. On, on the one hand, you don't want your client staying in longer than he or she needs to. On the other hand, you're concerned that you could be giving up some very uh, important rights for the client in terms of confrontation and being able to connect with a jury because of the limitations that we're all experiencing because of COVID.
3: Which brings us to the hunger strike and the reasons for it.
1: They're not getting medical appointments. They're not getting um, mental health appointments. They're not getting any rec time. They're not being able to use the law library. Um, the the conditions in which they're currently living in, in RNDC, the way that it was set up is that my understanding in these four particular dormitories they're not individual cells, it's basically 50 beds, they're all about a foot apart, and they share facilities, the, the shower and the bathroom facility apparently has black mold all over it, there are, uh, the place and area is ran rampant with rats, mice and bugs. Um, and so that, that presented problems too, and it's very, very cold because it's not part of the original structure of the building my understanding and i haven't seen it myself but my understanding is how it was described to me is that it's it's some type of addition onto the building um as if it was you know those metal containers that are on container ships and so it's it could be very very cold this is no insulation so um that was a lot of their primary concerns and and then not making court appearances and not being able to make um video conferences the other issue was There seemed to be uh, rotating people who test positive for COVID coming into dormitories where nobody was testing positive for COVID. So that meant lockdown was getting extended out further. So let's say, you know, one person in one area of a dormitory tests positive for COVID. That person um, may be segregated for a day or two. There was supposed to be more segregation based on CDC. I think it was the five days. But they were bringing people back earlier. And then they would, so they would bring other people back into the dormitory, now expose everybody. Now the dormitories were now being locked down for 10 or 15 days. Um, and so that was, we felt that what was happening, and I say we, our office was feeling that we were making phone calls to find out why clients weren't being produced. And we were being told, oh, that whole building's in lockdown. So we felt that what was happening is that Corrections was using COVID in a way so they wouldn't have to produce anybody to court, right? They can just say, well, the whole building's in lockdown, can't take anybody out. Um, And when this became a problem for the court, because the court started to intervene, there was a mechanism where people would be tested early in the morning to have a rapid test and test the negative. They would be able to make their court appearance. But it, it, it just added more bureaucracy to the level in terms of people being produced we had to make over the court has to make this request of doc uh to get this test in the morning um so it just presents another roadblock to people getting produced to court
3: Boyle is not alone in trying to sound the alarm about the conditions on Rikers Island. Investigative reporter Jan Ransom has been writing about criminal justice for The New York Times since 2017. Tell us what the conditions are like in Rikers and if this is not a new thing.
5: No, it's not. Um, You know, Rikers Island has been the scene of violence and dysfunction for quite some time now. Um, But as you said, the pandemic has um, worsened things quite a bit. And so, you know, over the summer, we were seeing lots of reports about detainees being crammed into intake cells. Intake is, you know, where if you're coming right off the street. It's where you're held until you're assessed by a medical and mental health professional, and it's where you are before you are officially housed. But those cells were um, in. Very poor condition with detainees having to defecate in bags, um, sleep on floors that were covered by food and and vomit. It was just really disgusting conditions. Um, And, you know, we're seeing a lot of those same concerns today um, where, you know, detainees are not having access to medical and mental health care, their medication, they're not being allowed outside for recreation, um, and all of this stemming to the staffing crisis that has been ongoing for more than a year now.
3: And you've done a lot of reporting on the staffing at Rikers and the staffing crisis. Um, Tell us a little bit about how that's lending to these conditions that you're talking about, and is anything being done about it?
5: Sure. So, you know, staffing is at the heart of what we see happening here, and you know, it's it's not a new problem. Really, it's something that has existed for um, many many years in terms of how people are deployed and where. Um, but you know, because you know there has been such mismanagement in how people are, um, particularly staffing, how people are staffed, um, we see that now with more than a third of uh, Uniform officers out, either sick or just unable to work with detainees, that that is leading to jail houses that are either understaffed or or completely unmanned. And so, what happens and what we see happening more and more is that there are detainees who are having to fend for themselves, manage their own housing areas or it's being left to the gangs in some of these housing areas to manage facilities. And when that happens, it's being done in often a very violent way.
3: I know part of your reporting, just as recently as this past week, covered a story where fights were being organized among the <laughs> inmates. And there was, a, it was almost like a fight club that was being organized. And that just came to light. Tell us what the staffing problems has to have to do with that kind of incident happening and and how we even got to know about it.
5: So um, I was provided that video by the New York County Defender Services, um, who represented one of the um, participants um, in fight night. Uh, It was a young man who um, described being forced to participate. Uh, If he had refused to, he would have been beaten or worse with uh, his an understanding. Um, and so what we saw happening um, in that video and what the young man described was, you know, detainees, and, and these are detainees who are in what's called a gang house, um, you know, the leader of this gang had become bored and decided, look, I'm going to put together this fight night and force people to participate. Um
3: basically for entertainment, for his entertainment.
5: For entertainment, yes, yes. And and you think about that for a second, you know, many of the detainees in this particular housing unit had not been outside to recreation in weeks, if not months. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is product of that, right? Um, but it's also a product of their not being uh, sufficient uh, staffing levels as well,
3: so explain just a little more in detail that not not having the staffing levels is allowing it to happen, and is there any indication through your reporting that that staff actually allows this to happen?
5: Yeah, so on the video, we could see you know a correction officer. Standing there watching the fight happen, um, the young man I interviewed overheard a conversation between that officer and the gang leader, which she's, you know, saying to him, can you do this later? Can you calm it down? Um, but there was no effort to intervene, no effort to stop it. Um, there was no reporting of the injuries that resulted of, you know, coming of those who participated in the fight night. Um And, you know, on top of that, another officer uh, is seen at one point flicking the lights on and off. And, you know, the person I interviewed said that was a signal to either, you know, stop fighting because a captain or a supervisor was in the area or because they were getting too loud. Um, And so, you know, that that is kind of what we see happening in the jails right now.
3: For some perspective, New York City spends an annual $550,000 per incarcerated person on Rikers Island. Compare that to the estimated $28,000 per year per student in New York City public schools. Rikers, by all accounts, is a mess. And elected officials are now saying it's a humanitarian crisis that we must not turn away from.
5: So last year, we saw a record number of deaths in the jails, Um, the highest number since 2013 with 16 people dying. We saw an onslaught of reports about detainees living in squalid conditions. Um, We also saw photos and images of what that actually looked like. Um, The New York Post, you know, published photos of people lying side by side, and you had a lot of people describing it as, you know, what slave ships look like. Um, You also had, at least for those elected officials, not for reporters, but for elected officials, access into the jails to see it for themselves. And I think... That access allowed them to see just how bad things have deteriorated and to understand that it was, in fact, an emergency.
3: You know, we understand there's already a federal monitor from another legal case against the Corrections Department over Rikers. Um, Tell us how long that's been going on and is it any help? Why wouldn't the federal monitor step in if conditions are getting this bad?
5: The federal monitor stems from a settlement in 2015 uh, that was uh, stemming from a lawsuit in which the plaintiffs alleged that there was a pattern of abuse, particularly um, uh, guards against teenage detainees. And so this federal monitor's job uh, has been to oversee uh, reforms of the city's jail system over the past several years. Um, But what we have seen from reports uh, from the monitor is that things have just become increasingly worse year after year. Uses of force by correction officers, violence in the jails continues to go up. The federal monitor, um, in terms of um, stepping in, he is doing um, what is required of him at the moment. Um, there have been increased reporting to the courts um, to see what more can be done There's also been a change in administration, and with that has come changes to um, other aspects of uh, the job, including the recent firing of the chief investigator. And so there's a lot of change happening with the new administration, so it'll be interesting to see how the relationship between the Adams administration and the monitor plays out and what that means for the future of reform within the jails.
3: And Rikers is also set to close. They're they're setting a date five years from now. How is that plan impacting conditions there?
5: So it seemed as if the moment um, the city decided to close Rikers Island that the priorities and the focus shifted to that, and so did the resources in many ways. Uh, a lot of things that needed fixing, such as you know unlock cell doors, which is you know number one on, in terms of the security checkoff list, um, those went unfixed uh, among a number of other things, and that has played in to the violence that we see on rikers island with stabbings and slashings the hyatts it's been in decades literally since like the 1990s when the jails were overflowing and detainees are you know fashioning weapons from scraps of metal that are coming off the buildings or um shards of plastic um and so that that's that's contributing to the high instances of violence. Um, as far as the plan to close Rikers, I think it is um, yet to be seen how it will happen with Mayor Adams' plan to be tough on crime, which, you know, typically comes with the incarceration of more, and more people. And the goal is to get the jail population down to as low as it can be. but his his uh, policies do not quite match with the plan to close Rikers.
3: Um, as you mentioned, with a new mayor, um, he he's promising, you know, to get back to things like solitary confinement on Rikers mm-hmm. Island, which advocates have been working for a long time to, to do away with. So, explain how he believes that that would improve conditions by getting things tougher inside the jail.
5: So, Mayor Adams uh, has said that. The city needs to be able to separate violent detainees from the general population, not just to keep officers safe, but also to keep other detainees safe. Um, Of course, advocates uh, for detainees disagree with that and say that solitary confinement is harmful and uh, does not do anything to prevent violence. Um, So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
3: And New York City is actually in the middle of a debate right now over who just should be in jail awaiting trial. And we've heard a lot about the bail reform system from people who are advocates and people who are opponents. So does that system need reform still? So the the bail system was reformed
5: uh, in 2020 with uh, the previous governor, Cuomo, making additional changes, which actually scaled back. Um, some of the initial changes. But I think in Manhattan, that debate has heated up where the top prosecutor there, Alvin Bragg, has said that he wants to go a step further and push people away from jails and prisons and into um, programming that could help correct some of that um, behavior. And, you know, I think when you think about what is happening on Rikers Island now again you know going back to what I said earlier um, a situation where you have people um, dying uh, in jail and again these are people who are waiting their pretrial these are people who are not getting access to medical and mental health care in the way they should not getting access to their medication or or basic services and so I think what you see here is not only um, prosecutors and other officials trying to um, correct what has been decades of mass incarceration, but also acknowledging that there is an ongoing crisis on Rikers Island that does not seem to be improving anytime soon. And so I think you have people trying to figure out how to prevent additional casualties from happening.
3: Remember that fight night video that Jan Ransom wrote about in the New York Times? That case involved a client of lawyer Christopher Boyle, who we spoke to in this episode. As difficult as these circumstances may seem for the population now on Rikers Island, Boyle says he still has hope. So what happens next?
1: I mean, I think it's a larger question about how we handle criminal justice in America, right? What are we... Are we going down a road of being purely punitive, or do we want to go down a road to rehabilitate? Right? In other words, you know, jail sentences certainly have decreased since I was a young lawyer in the early 90s. And so, if you're talking about people that may get out in a year or two years, um, are these the conditions you want them living in right now um, to prepare them for getting out again? Um, I, I just, I just don't see it as, as making a whole lot of sense. I I think it means that we need to do more intervention, more counseling, and, and that goes for everybody. You know, when I was a young lawyer, you know, we were very compartmentalized. We, you know, we go in, you're, you're a warrior. You go in, you try a case, you do a trial, and then case is over, you win, lose, and client moves on, you know, just before this, uh. Uh, interview here. I had a client uh, make a phone call to me. I've had him for about four years. Uh, the case was closed three and a half years ago. Uh, he is currently on probation, but uh, I check in with him every now and then and see how he's doing, because I feel like there is a need for a level of intervention that lawyers didn't do um, in the early days, right? Uh, it just this wasn't happening, and I think that there needs to be across the board. There needs to be more intervention and more contact um, to help people. You know, there's sometimes people only need a little help, maybe just a phone call every once in a while to encourage them. And sometimes they need a lot of help by trying to get them into a program. Um, But I I think that it's a worthy uh, effort because I think ultimately people don't do the rest of their lives in jail, they do come out. Um, And that's a reflection on all of us.
3: And as for the story of Khalif Browder, whose death helped drive a movement for prison reform in New York City years ago, his activist brother is also watching what's going on today at Rikers. More than a dozen people died in Rikers in 2021. And so I wonder, how many more Khalif Browders do you think are there right now? And what needs to to be done to help that situation?
4: Well, I tell you, I'm actually standing with and in solidarity with these brave people who decided to take a stand—a stance against Rikers while in Rikers. They are doing a hun- hunger strike, which tells me that they, to even protest the deplorable situation that's in Rikers, they're facing on a daily basis. Whether it's COVID, especially COVID and Omicron, uh, or Omicron, right? Yeah. Uh, the high rates, uh, the rates have just skyrocketed. And yet they're willing, they're willing to all work together to say, this is not something that we should even, that you should have anyone in. Uh, the conditions alone, uh, the, the circumstances alone. And so I won first. I gotta give it to them. I'm standing with them. Whatever they, uh, they're doing, they're doing it for a reason. They're not doing it because they want, uh, to get out of jail only. No, they want better living standards while they're in their circumstances. Why is that hard for us to get?
3: This episode of Connect the Dots was written and produced by members of the team here in New York at WCBS 880, including Rabia Gursoy and Dempsey Pallad. Odyssey's Lauren Berry and KCBS Radio's Sydney Fishman also provided editorial support. The episode was edited by KCBS Radio's Mallory Samara. Mallory Samara is the executive producer of Connect the Dots subscribe to Connect the Dots, and you can listen to past episodes by heading to the Odyssey app and on Apple or Google Podcasts. From WCBS 880 here in New York, I'm Linda Lopez. Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.
1: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours.